0: Luke chapter 4, verses 1 and 2, and 14 through 21. And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan, and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness for forty days, being tempted by the devil. And he ate nothing during those days, and when they were ended, he was hungry. Verse 14. And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee, and a report about him went out through all the surrounding country, And recovering of sight to the blind, to set all liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the, and the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he and he began to say to them, "Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing."
1: Good morning, Watermark. My name is Emily Carlisle. I'm one of the new elders here at church. Um, This past week, Pastor Tommy and his wife, Sarah, and their kiddos um, have been on vacation in the North Carolina mountains. So this morning, we have the privilege of hearing from John Dangler. John is the founder of The Well, um, which is a group of people um, who seek to build relationships with um, and meet the needs of those who are living in poverty in our our city. John is a man who um, has a heart for those who are marginalized in our society and who has dedicated his life um, to loving those individuals well and advocating on their behalf. Um, So I'm confident that God has given him a lot of wisdom and truth to share with us this morning. So a warm welcome for Mr. John Dangler.
2: Thanks, y'all. So what's happening? Is this adjustable? Is someone taller was is it this? Let's see. So I just want to get this out of the way right now. Um, uh, Luke 4.20, um, he rolled up the scroll, handed it to the attendant, and sat down that's awesome. <laughs> it has nothing to do with, that's why I picked the passage, actually. No, I, I just, otherwise it was going to come up sometime while I'm speaking and distract me completely. All right, um, so today's the first Sunday of Lent. Um, Lent began with uh, Ash Wednesday. Do people here do Lent? You guys know what Lent is? Yeah? Good. Uh, maybe, maybe everyone doesn't. Um, And I'm actually assuming if I asked you about Lent, a lot of your answers would be different because we have different experiences. Personally, I have a lot of different experiences of Lent throughout my life. When I was young, I was raised Catholic, which um, pretty much just means we're Irish. And um, we gave up like, you know, they're like, and it was like a rule, but like you had to give up like candy or something. Growing up, you know, you would fast, right, go without something for Lent, and then in college, when I, when personally I started to try to follow Jesus or take Jesus seriously, um, I kind of just got rid of all the kind of church traditions and things that I had grown up with, really as irrelevant. But in time, I came to really appreciate certain aspects of what's known as like the liturgical calendar. There's these rhythms and disciplines uh, that have been shared and practiced by Christians for centuries. I wouldn't say I appreciate or practice all of those things, but Lent has, for me, emerged as a really special season and discipline. So Lent starts with Ash Wednesday, which was Wednesday, which incidentally is why Mardi Gras is the night before that. Church folks call that Shrove Tuesday, um, which traditionally is celebrated by stuffing your face with pancakes. Um, you, know, you go to pancake dinners. Tuesday, so that's really because it's when people ate up everything that needed to be gotten rid of for the Lenten season before the fast, uh, so that comes to be known as Fat Tuesday, which in time becomes a rager, and, uh, or Mardi Gras. Anyway, Ash Wednesday is on the liturgical calendar, the beginning of the season of Lent, which as I grew up, I heard was 40 days, turns out it's 46 days before the celebration of the resurrection of Jesus. So Ash Wednesday is observed by fasting and repentance. Many services are held where people's heads are marked with ashes from actually burned palms from the previous year's Palm Sunday. Ashes are a sign of mourning, grieving, and repentance. They're seen constantly throughout Scripture as we see mourners dawn sackcloth and ashes and typically at those services the words of Genesis 3.19 are repeated to each one as they receive their ashes or participate as a reminder of their mortality and guilt remember that you are dust and to dust you shall return and this begins a season of fasting known as Lent so Lent is 46 days long and six of those days are Sundays, which are considered feast days, because that's when the community gathers to celebrate the Lord's Supper. So it is 40 days of fasting. And today is the first of those Sundays. Incidentally, today is the feast day of St. John of the Cross, a Franciscan priest who has been hugely formative um, for, in my life, particularly his writing, The Dark Night of the Soul. So the remaining 40 days are usually spent fasting as an allusion to the 40 days Jesus spent fasting in the desert where he was tested by the devil. Now, I'm actually really fascinated uh, how all this played out. So I wanted to look at this passage today because of some reflecting that I was doing with my community, The Well, on Wednesday night, for Ash Wednesday. And I felt really after that conversation, which was really profound, I felt strongly about using this passage to share with you all, and so I started working on some notes. And then I checked in on what you all had been talking about. And I listened to Tommy's talk from last week and said, oh, you guys looked at Matthew 4, uh, the temptation of Jesus. So at first I'm like, "Uh uh-oh, that's not good. But after listening to his talk and knowing that he's I guess coming back after, uh, what do you say, sipping coffee on a mountainside? He will continue to talk about those temptations. I feel like this will fit really nicely into that series. And we seriously didn't plan it this way. So if you're prone to like a theology of providence, well, there you go. Anyway, I want to look at Luke's version of the story. And not so much the story of the temptation itself as the, the framing of it. Um, what happens that leads to it, kind of one and two, and what happens directly after. So right in the beginning, we see Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil, he ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them he was hungry. The tempter came to him. There might not be a line in scripture that I find more fascinating than this. Led by the spirit into the wilderness, the desert, the darkness, the chaos. To be tested by the devil. Led by the spirit to the wilderness, to the devil. You know, the desert fathers would report the same thing about their move to the desert. Um... Many of them would move. This move was meant as a, as a path away from the world and the evil of the world and a pursuit of God. But what is it that they found in the desert? It was the devil. You go there to fight the devil. So if I describe a place of chaos and hunger where the devil is, what word comes to mind? Hell, right? I mean, isn't that what hell is? So think for a minute about your own life and times when the bottom has fallen out of life. Where do you go? To hell? To the underworld? There is an underworld and you do go there. Well, when do you go there? You go there when the bottom falls out. When I was in high school, my senior year, I was involved in a head-on car accident So I shattered every bone in my face. This is all Humpty Dumpty put back together, metal plating and stuff. I was involved in that car accident. I smashed my face, broke my femur, ruptured my intestines. I was on a ventilator for weeks, which they put through a tracheotomy in my throat. Which, by the way, then later I had to stick my fingers in to keep air from coming out so I could talk through my mouth that was wired shut. And then I was put back into school. The end of my senior year, in a wheelchair, totally unrecognizable. Nobody knew who I was anymore. People I had grown up with or been alongside. I was that kid in a wheelchair, some kid with a disability, relegated to the margins, to the desert, and in my mind, I was ruined. Years later, different thing, after several other crises in my life, I plummeted personally, into what is known as a dark night of the soul. And I felt personally, deeply, existentially that God had died. I was alone, like cosmically alone, alienated. And I remember sitting in my backyard crying as though I was at the funeral of God. I was experiencing total disorientation. Just a few months ago, when I was already struggling with the drama of so I don't know if you've, you' guys know this, but so the well community um, had a kind of a drop in center house of hospitality for the poor that's in Tampa Heights, and Tampa Heights is changing demographics pretty rapidly, and so with the drama of gentrification and the neighborhood association pushing the city to lean on us until we closed our doors, um, we were already I was already dealing with all that drama um, and our to close that house of hospitality and at the same time in my life I was in the middle of another crisis that was taxing my resolve to its limits when I was already kind of in that wilderness I learned that my dad had acute leukemia and then within two months of finding that out he was gone what happens when the bottom falls out when we find ourselves in that damp dingy dungeon of doubt and despair in the underworld and in that darkness we wonder where is God why is this happening and if you've suffered loss personally if you've allowed it to shatter you if it has shattered your world then you know that God doesn't stop it from happening And so you know that that God that we would like to have, that provident Father that would never fail you, that would never allow anything terrible to happen to you, that would never lead you into a desert, that God does not exist. And in this passage, we see a God that leads Jesus, and we see where he leads him and the Spirit of God leading him to the wilderness, to the underworld, to the devil. The underworld is a place. You've been there, haven't you? Yeah, yeah, I've been there. Yeah, you have been there because it's a real place. Jordan Peterson is a philosopher that I really appreciate. He describes this reality really well as a slice of space time. So you could take this room, for example. This is a place, but it's not always the same. Right now, we gather as a community. We worship together. We reflect on things that matter ultimately. And because of that, this space in this time is sacred. So let's imagine a different scenario. Uh, Let's imagine that I had like 15 people walk in right now with like pillowcases full of snakes. And they surround the room and they let those snakes go this place would change, wouldn't it? You see? <laughs> and, and we don't think of when things fall apart as a place, but it is a place. And you've been there, or you will be there. And so what do you do when you get there? And here we see Jesus fasting and being tested and led to a place of depletion. It's a place where you find out what you're made of. This is the way of Jesus, the way of a cross. And I I remember, it makes me think of Philippians 2, this description where he says, have the mindset of Jesus, Jesus who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant He made himself nothing. This is a um, theological concept known as kenosis. It's the word translated here to make himself nothing. It is a self-emptying, a downward mobility to be made nothing. Remember that you are dust, and to dust you shall return. And I really hope this reflection so far has caused you to remember your own deserts, your own walks in the dark, through the underworld. I know that I can say things like my car accident are both the worst thing that I've ever been through and also some of the richest places that I've ever been because they're places where in the end God has seemed the most real. There's like a sobriety about crisis and grief. It's a place where like all the stuff you spend all your time worrying about like doesn't really matter anymore. You stop caring about popularity your grades, your clothes, showering, (laughs) your accomplishments. And you wake up to what really matters when you're there. This is the gold that the dragons of mythology are sitting on. And if you face a dragon and it doesn't destroy you, you get its gold. Death precedes resurrection. Kenosis, then, is connected to theosis. Um, the name, he is given the name that is above every name. To be, we, we empty ourselves so that we might be consumed by God. So St. John of the Cross talks about this kenosis process in the dark night of the soul, which I, I really recommend reading. He uses the image of a log and a fire. So you're a log, God, a fire. Or really the feeling of the absence of God, a fire. You are burned up, emptied of your being. You become nothing so that you may become part of the fire. He made himself nothing, and so he is exalted to the highest place. And so then we read in verse 14 Jesus returned to Galilee in power, in the power of the Spirit. It's really weird. So he goes 40 days just in the desert, in chaos, in turmoil. Squaring off with the devil, he has no food. So just take the no food thing. Go 40 days without food and see what happens to your body. So this emaciated man, this beaten man, walks out of the wilderness and into a synagogue in power. What's the connection between the desert and this chaos, this testing, fasting, this emptying? This weakness and the power with which he emerges. Why are those connected? Somehow power is a result of his time in the wilderness. And now, filled with power, he enters the synagogue, opens the scroll of the prophet Isaiah, he opens to Isaiah 61, and he reads, As an announcement of his own work, this is the beginning. Have his own ministry to fulfill this passage. And he says, The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted and to proclaim freedom to the captives and a release from darkness for the prisoners. And to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, and here's where Luke cuts off, and whether Jesus stopped reading here or not wouldn't matter, because everybody would know that this is Isaiah 61, and it goes on. So I'll just continue. Um, I'm going to back up a little. He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives, release from darkness for the prisoners, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God to comfort all who mourn and to provide for those who grieve in Zion and to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, oil of joy instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. And they will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. They will rebuild the ancient ruins and restore places long devastated, they will renew the ruined cities that have been devastated for generations. And then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. And the eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he began by saying to them, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Have you ever been in a desert... I don't mean actually. Maybe you have actually. That probably sucks too. Um, (laughs) But like, in the way I'm using it, right? Like, have you been in a dark place? You've been in the underworld. You've been in that place of chaos. And a friend, some Christian friend, tries to be encouraging. uh, With the best of intentions. They try to speak words of hope. Have you ever encountered those words as shallow, empty, and trite? Words that lack the power that we see in this proclamation of Jesus? Because here we see one that will preach good news to the poor, to the prisoner, to those in darkness and in captivity, to those that mourn, to those that grieve, to those in despair, to those in ruins? You know, I have, and I can, I can tell you from, I mean, sometimes even the same words from a well-meaning Christian friend. You know, he, he works all things together for the good of those that love him, his purpose in all these things. This is for your own good. This is for the good. Nothing necessarily untrue, yet landing empty, trite, even hurtful. And then magic, or mama, or someone I know from the street puts their arm around me, says the same words, and I weep. And life comes into my darkness and my death. There's a power in this proclamation of Jesus, in good news to the poor. It is those in the desert, those in the underworld, those in prison and mourning and grief, those that are in hell that he is sent to. And his words, his good news, they're not empty or trite, but it is the power of God. Well, what's the difference? And it seems to me that you have to have been crucified. It seems that there's a connection between going to those that are in hell and having spent some time there yourself. The Spirit led him to hell and then to those who are in hell to proclaim freedom, good news, hope, comfort, favor, praise, joy. You are called to go to hell. People live there, you know. They live there. You can see them. Walk down the street. Go downtown. Walk among those who live out there. Oh, look, that person's in hell. You know it. And so what do we do? Typically, naturally, actually, we don't, we avoid them. There are so much in hell that we don't even look Why? Because we don't want to go there. We walk around them. You have to go there. This is why Jesus would say the gates of hell will not prevail against his church. Think about that. What are gates? They're entry and exit points. Often they're locked. Hell has gates around it. And the implication here is that the church will kick those gates in. We enter into hell itself, and it's all around you, hell is all around you, here on earth. We enter it and we cry out to God, may your kingdom come. May your will be done here on earth as it is in heaven. You know, there's a lot of us that long for a savior that would take us away from the pain of this place, away to heaven. But that's not what we find in Jesus. In him, we have the way of the cross, beckoning us into hell. So, you know, I mentioned I was raised Catholic, which I never even considered, like, God at all. I just, that was just like grandma, like grandma's, Catholic, we go to church. like it wasn't like a thing, really, um, until in college, I took a bunch of LSD um, and I met Jesus. That's my story. <sighs> <laughs> Never been the same. And um, And so I just started reading the Bible, like frantically after that, for a few years, actually. But I never really connected with any community or church. Like, I just didn't. I just read about Jesus. Tried my best to do something. I had some terrible ideas, too. Um, Like, I wasn't good at it, but, you know, tried. And then, a couple years in, me and a friend. So this, this is funny. My friend, the same week, met Jesus on ecstasy. We told each other, and we were like, well... Are you serious? I'm serious. Are you serious? Shake on it. And then we, it was he and I reading, trying to do some stuff. Like, oh, you know, let's go. One time he was in his room for like, he just didn't come out for like a week. And I went to his house. His parents let me go back to his room. And I was like, bro, what is up? You never come out anymore. And he's like, well, I read in James that pure religion is to keep oneself unspotted by the world. And so I can't be spotted. I can't let anyone spot me. I said, uh, come, let's reason together. <laughs> let's, uh... But we were trying. We were trying to figure it out. Well, we, we would be like, so every Wednesday night, all these people met downstairs at his house. And like, I was like, dude, what are they doing down there? I said, I don't know what they do down there. It's my parents, friends, whatever. I don't know what they do. Well, one night, I'm like, bro, I'm going down there because I, I want food. <laughs> so I went down there. And I came back up. I'm like, you know they're studying the Bible, right? Did you know that? He's like, that's what they do down there? <laughs> We're upstairs doing it. They're downstairs like a bunch of older folks. And so we asked to join them, and we started joining them. And then that led to us going, going to church, um, which for me wasn't a, a fantastic experience. Uh, right from the beginning, I didn't love it. Um, and I thought that was me, like something's wrong with me. And something is definitely wrong with me. But um. I didn't understand it. Like, after a few years of, like, reading about Jesus, I was like, I mean, we sing songs about Jesus. and But I feel like if we, like, wow, what would, like, really Jesus have to say and do? I didn't understand. I was like, what does this have to do with this? I don't understand. I think he's going to kick your tables over. That's what I think living this out is going to look like. So I should probably go so I don't go to jail or whatever. And so I, I didn't. I went. I kept going. I didn't love it, but... And I kept reading the Bible, things like Matthew 25, where this man who's said to be the incarnation of God, if this is theologically significant, then so is his identification in Matthew 25. The incarnation says, oh, by the way, I was hungry, thirsty, sick, naked, and in prison, and you did what? And they said, when did we see you sick, naked, in prison? He said, every time you saw one of those people in hell, because that's where I'm at, by the way. And I, I would read these things, and then, I don't know, so I heard about a church, um, actually from a friend of mine, that he was living on the streets. He's since passed, um, I didn't have a lot of friends on the street at that time, just incidentally knew this guy, Danny, who I just loved. And uh, Danny was an old carny from New York, and had like one tooth, and he's like, oh man, yeah, every Tuesday night they got a feed up. He didn't sound like that, he's from New York, but... That's the best I got. So he called it a feed up. And I was like, what's a feed up? He said, man, all these hungry people come and they get fed. I said, they do that at a church? Yeah, man, they got a feed up. I said, all right, that that sounds like something that, that sounds something, right? Like I want to go to that. So I went to that church and I went to that feed up that they had every week. And I went once, and then I realized they have a van that goes out from there. And so um, I went out in a van, and I went um, down to some alley. I know where it is now, but downtown, I'd never been there. I'm like, where is this place? It's a super dark alley, and I got a thing of food and a blanket. And I'm, like, walking down this alley, and I'm like, yo, is anyone in here? (laughs) And this guy's like, yeah, man, I'm here. I'm like, cool. You want some food? Yeah, I want some food. So I give it to him, but I don't know what to do. I'm like, here. Um, but I figure I should stay, hang out with him. Oh, and I remember, man, it reeked of urine. The whole alley was just, we were, I, we were just sitting in urine, I'm pretty sure. I sat with this guy, and he ate and he told me his story, and we just talked for a while. And I, it, this dude was just absolutely beautiful. Like, I mean, the setting was not beautiful, but, like, he's not unlike me. His story's not unlike me. He has fears and hopes and family and... History And I went home that night, and I still have, I don't journal really, but that night I was just overwhelmed with things. And I started writing this stuff down. And, and I, I remember, I felt, like I remember writing, like I think people do this kind of thing to feel good about themselves. I feel like crap. Like this beautiful brother is out in an alley, laying in piss, waiting for someone to come by with a plate of food. And I came home and have a pillow, an extra blanket, a closet full of clothes, food in the fridge, an air conditioner. Like, I don't want to live in a world that works this way. And incidentally, that's for me where what I would call like the haunting began. And that has only haunted me since. And um, so out of that and other things with the community I was part of... um, a group of us started this work that came to be known as The Well, and by, incidentally, uh, The Well closed the drop-in center, but we're alive and well and active, uh, alive and well. I didn't, that just happens all the time. So Tuesday, Thursday nights, we have dinners that we share at the Good Samaritan Inn that you guys would be welcome to join us at. Don't like come as a huge posse, like let someone know, and come, like just let's set that up if you want to do that. Actually, last night we had a killer, what we call the conscious party there, and we're gonna have that the first Saturday of every month, and it's an open mic and a potluck dinner, and you can just all come to that, like bring a bunch of plates of food. Actually, that'd be really helpful, cause the potluck's kind of like here's some chicken, um, and we open up a mic and we just let it happen, and it's absolutely beautiful. Um, we've been doing a bike co-op for years, and so if you wanna like donate a bike or if you wanna buy a bike, we. That's a great way for us. Or if you want to sponsor a bike that we can give to someone that needs it or build with someone that needs it, those aren't exactly free after, like, the rebuild. Um, but anyway, you could talk to us about those things. This, you know, whatever. I just, this is the community that kind of grew out of that, and we've, we're a community of people just dedicated to staying in relationship with the poor because of our own poverty, really. We're the ones that need these relationships. So I want to close this morning by... Um, telling you a story of a hero of mine and what happened when he decided to go and embrace those who were poor, those that were outcasts and sick, those that were in hell. It's the story of St. Francis, some of you may be familiar with. So Francis was raised in a really wealthy family. Um, his father owned a, like a textile business, so they had like fine cloth that they would sell to... People that can buy fine cloth, I guess. And he wanted to be a knight. That was like his dream from like childhood. And so they had money. And so he's like, Dad, you got to buy me all the stuff. You know how that goes, right? He's like, so he got the chainmail, the lance, the helmet. Like, I mean, as like a a real young guy, way before he ever could be a knight, he's running around being a knight. Make-believing. And then one night he has a dream where his father's house is turned into a palace filled with arms. And instead of cloth and saddle, there's shields and lances. And he wakes up just ecstatic. And he knows that it's like a vision from God. And he's bouncing around his father's shop the next day. And a customer asks him, what are you so excited about? He says, I know that I will be a great prince. And so soon after, he set off to join the military. And while on his way, he heard a voice telling him, On a way, he heard a voice telling him that he had misinterpreted the vision and that he should go back to Assisi. So this guy, who's not afraid to rush into battle or face an external enemy, turns around and heads back because, because he believes God told him to. And on his way back, he encounters what probably is his deepest fear. He's not afraid to fight in a war. But he encounters something that triggers a much deeper fear in him he saw a leper on the road ahead of him and he immediately knew that that was the real battle that he was called to fight a battle that was inside of him so not being one to hesitate he jumps off his horse he runs to the leper he embraces and kisses him and this leads to a season of his life where he lived among the lepers dressing their wounds kissing their hands And while many would discuss this in history and they say, what a great thing it was for Francis to go love and serve those poor lepers. Francis would say, it was those lepers that saved my life and that set me free. See, to be in hell is a kind of captivity. And while many of the materially poor are not free, like these lepers were not free to participate in society or to go wherever they liked, Francis, though he's very rich and privileged, much like the rich young ruler, is not free either. And it was after this conversion experience where he became free to turn his back on the status quo, societal expectations on his wealth, and he became free to follow Jesus and free to live in solidarity with the poor. For him... Poverty was embraced as an act of freedom. He, he talked about poverty as this beautiful woman, lady poverty, who he pursued. Hell is transformed by entering it as an act of freedom and mission. This has been my experience, too. Like Francis, I have come to, I have come to find among the lepers, the outcasts, the poor, the marginalized, those that I've had the privilege to be friends with at the well, To work with over the course of the last 10 years or so, I found healing and the presence of God like I would have never known without their embrace. So often we try to create our own little heaven, and in doing that we make hell on earth. But then in contrast, when we go to hell, we find the power of God and the healing presence of heaven in that place. You know, the risen Jesus still had wounds, right? You remember Thomas? You can touch my wounds, put your fingers here. And then John's vision in Revelation of the one on the throne is a lamb that looks as though it has been slaughtered. Seems that wounds are eternal. But they're no longer the site of hell. The work of God is to transform hell into heaven. Wounds into fountains of grace. Despair into joy. Death death. Into life. He made himself nothing, became obedient to death, even death on a cross, and in so doing is exalted to the highest place. So when you see hell, go there. They asked me, we need a title for the podcast. So I said, yeah, this is, go, this is called Go to Hell. <laughs> because I believe that is the thing you're called to do if you'll follow Jesus. Jesus is led by the Spirit into the wilderness, to the poor, to the prisoner, to hell. Go and do likewise. Thank you all.
1: As we enter into a time of communion, communion service, you may go ahead and get ready. Um, if you would like for someone to pray with you out the double doors to the back, um, immediately to the left, there is a prayer room, and someone will be there who would gladly pray with you. Let's pray together. Dear God, um, we thank you for your body broken for us, your blood poured out. Uh, we thank you that you have come to turn our despair into joy. Pray that you would shine your light into the dark places in our lives um, and that you would set us free um, from the shackles that bind us. God, I pray that you would humble our hearts and um, just bring to mind the places of our hearts that we have let yet to let you enter into. In Jesus' name, take some time. Talk to Jesus. I am still in love with that place. When the stars are the only things we share, will you be there?